Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come to you and I would ask first and foremost that you would forgive me and cleanse me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of your word. And that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would speak to your people. And as Jared has already asked, that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. And that you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Last week we looked at Samson, and this morning we're going to be looking at another famous Old Testament character, and his name is Jonah. The book that bears his name is only four chapters long, and it's found in between two other books, the book of Obadiah and the book of Micah. And right in the middle there is the book of Jonah. Now that information that I just gave to you, that might not have helped you at all, because you don't know where any of those books are in the Bible, right? And if that's the case, you're still lost and you don't know, know where Jonah is, I want you to go in the very beginning of the Bible and look at the table of contents. And there it's going to give you the page number. Because I give you that information so, so that I don't finish my sermon and you're still looking for the book of Jonah, okay? I know it's a hard book to find. So hopefully you found it or you found it on your phone. And if that's the, if that's the case, let's get started. We're going to look at chapter 1, starting with verse 1, and it says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarsus. Now Jonah the man is both a prophet and a rebel. Let's look at him, first of all, as a, as a prophet. He's a successful prophet, by the way. And Jonah prophesied in Israel 180 years before Christ ever showed up on the scene. And he predicted that the king of Israel which at that time was Jeroboam, would restore the boundaries of Israel. What's amazing is that Jonah's prophecy was fulfilled in Jonah's lifetime. Now, if you know anything about prophets and prophecy, you know that a lot of prophets, they went to be with the Lord before their prophecy was ever fulfilled. But in Jonah's case, it was fulfilled in his lifetime. So Israel saw him as a successful prophet. He was a true prophet in their eyes. But he also was a rebel. He had no problem going to his people and giving the word of God to them. But when God asked him to go to Nineveh, a pagan city, he said, no way. I don't want to do that. I don't like what you said to me, God. I'm running. Let me ask us a question. Has God ever asked you to do something that you didn't like? Can you remember what that was? Or maybe what that is? Has God ever asked you to do something that is absolutely, you thought that was absolutely impossible? Well, what God is going to ask Jonah to do, or what he is asking Jonah to do, is incredible. It really is. It's absolutely incredible. He's asking Jonah to go to Nineveh, a pagan city, and preach repentance to them. Now, that's no big deal, right? Because Jonah's a prophet. I mean, that's his calling. That's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to take the message that God gives to him, and take it to the people, no matter who they are or where he sends them. That is what he's supposed to do. So what's the big deal? Why wouldn't John, Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Well, Nineveh was one of the largest, most wealthiest, and powerful city in the world at that time. Matter of fact, they were Israel's arch enemy. There you go. They were the arch enemy of Israel. I mean, these Ninevites were violent people, and they showed no mercy, folks, no mercy to their, to their enemies. 
And I did some more study this week to find out who these people really were. And I discovered that these people were cruel and barbaric, beyond your imagination. They were known for capturing their enemies and literally skinning them alive. They'd skin them alive. And if they didn't do that, then they would take their enemies while they were alive and they would shove poles through their bodies like shish kebabs. And then they would take the poles and set them in the ground and display their bodies. They would kill you and then display you. These people were wicked. Wicked folks. And in Jonah's mind, God is asking them to go to that group of people, the enemy of Israel. That'd be like telling a Jew, helping us understand Jonah's mindset, that would be like telling a Jew to go to Nazi Germany during World War II, in the height of World War II, and walk into into the city of Berlin and tell Hitler and the Nazis and all the Germans to repent for what they're doing to the Jews. That's as crazy as this is, right? And that's what God is asking Jonah to go do. Now go get that done, son. You're my prophet. Go get that done. So this is the mindset. So Jonah is saying here, you know, it's getting real practical, if you will. And he's saying, you want me to go to Nineveh? They kill people like me. That's, they kill people like me there, God. You can't want me to go talk to them. And, 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 and matter of fact, don't send me. Don't send me to judge them. You judge it. You ju- God, you don't need me to tell them anything. Just kill them. That's his mindset. These are the enemies of Israel. Just kill them. Wipe them out. You don't need me. Just judge them. See, in Jonah's mind, these guys are his enemies. And if he goes there and preaches, he's going to die. Second reason why he doesn't want to go there to Nineveh is because he believes that possibly he would preach repentance and they would repent and get saved. I don't want that. God, if I go there and preach repentance, they might get saved and they're going to escape your judgment. You won't judge them if they turn to you. So he's thinking to himself, if I go and preach, they might kill me. And if they don't kill me and I preach repentance, they might believe and get saved. And then they're going to escape God's judgment. I want them to get judged. So he's saying this is a no-win situation. So he says, I'm out of here. I'm gone. I'm running. And now we find ourselves in verse 3. Verse 3 says this, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So Jonah, Jonah starts running, but instead of heading to Nineveh, which is east of Israel, which today in modern today is modern-day Iraq. Instead of going east, he goes in the opposite direction. He goes west. He goes down, buys himself a ticket on a boat, headed west to the coast of Spain. He gets on the Mediterranean cruise line, if you will, heading out to Spain. He's saying, God told him to go east, I'm going west. Let me tell you how committed Jonah is to rebel against God here, how he wants to get to the west. Watch this. From Joppa to Nineveh is 550 miles by land. Again, Joppa's where he's located. He's gonna, he was supposed to go to where? Nineveh. That's 550 miles by land. But he goes to Tarshish. He goes west. That's 2,500 miles by sea. Listen to this. 
Jonah is so committed to this. Jonah would rather be 2,500 miles out of God's will than to be 550 miles in it. Why? Because he's saying, God, I am going to, I'm not just going the other direction. I'm going as far away in the other direction as I can possibly go. So that, God, if you come after me and you find me, it's going to be too late. Too late to use me to help those people in Nineveh. That's his mindset. I'm running. I'm gone. So he runs, again, he runs away from God. He's running as fast as he can possibly go. And what's he doing? He's rebelling against God. What he's, what he's ultimately doing is that he is sinning against God. Now, some of us might be thinking in our minds right now, but Pastor Ed, these people, these are wicked folks. I mean, Jonah, man, what God is asking Jonah to do is very, very difficult thing. Right? I mean, he's asking Jonah to do something unbelievably difficult. And I would agree with you. But let, let me just ask you this. Is it not true that when you're in a relationship and things get difficult, you find out who's committed and who's not? Think about that. Isn't that true? When things get tough, you begin to figure out who's in and who's not. When things are great, you don't know where everybody stands. But when things get tough, when the water gets hot, you find out who's in and who's not. You know, there's an old saying. It's an old saying that says this. Your faith is like a tea bag. You don't really know how strong it is until it's in hot water. Remember, Jonah is God's prophet. He's called of God. He's committed to God. God says, because you're my prophet, you're committed to me. I love you, son. You're my boy. Now, you go and you speak wherever I tell you to speak, and you say whatever I tell you to say. That's our relation. That's our commitment. My commitment to you and your commitment to me, that's what we're in on this. Doesn't matter where you're going to go. Trust me. Jonah, he didn't want that. Not this time. You see, remember, he's saying, basically, I can't trust you, God. I can't trust you for this one. You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, love, do two great commandments. Love God with all your what? All your heart, your mind, your soul, and your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two great commandments. You know, you can't keep those commandments if you don't believe that God loves you. You cannot keep those commandments if you don't believe and trust that God really loves you you have a difficult time loving him, and you'll have the time of your life loving one another, especially your enemies. See, Jonah didn't really believe that God had his back. He didn't really believe that God, he, God could be trusted. Remember Adam and Eve? Remember Satan coming and tempting Adam and Eve? What did he tempt, him, tempt them with? He tempted them to believe that God could not be trusted. He said, look, you eat that piece of fruit, and you're going to be like God. See, God doesn't want you. He doesn't have your back. He's not looking after you. He's lying to you. You can't be trusted. You see, you eat of that fruit and you're going to be like him. They buy in on that lie and they think God can't be trusted. They bite of that fruit and what happens? The whole world falls apart. Jonah's saying, God, you can't send me there. They're going to kill me. He couldn't believe that God could protect him, that God would have his back. But we know the end of the story, don't we? Did God have his back? Absolutely. But Jonah said, no way. But not only did he not trust God in that way, but he didn't trust him because he was blinded. What was he blinded with? He was blinded with hatred. He hated those. You say, Pastor Ed, but those people skinned his people alive. I got it. I hear you. I, believe me. 
Very difficult thing to do. But remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, I died on the cross when you were my what? Enemy. I died for you and I loved you and I died for you. Now go and not only love one another, but love your enemies. That's tough to do. But why does God tell us to love our enemies? Because he says, if, he knows this. He knows if you don't love them and ask him to help you love them, then you're going to hate them. And if you hate them, you're, gonna know, you're not going to be any better than they are. You're going to be exactly the, what they are. Because when you sow hatred, you get what? You reap ha- hatred. You sow love and forgiveness, you get what? You get love and forgiveness. What you sow, you'll reap. And he knows that. You know what, what we think, though? We think, man, if I stay angry, if I hold on to this bitterness, if I hate this person that's done something wrong to me, that somehow I'm getting back at them. That's crazy thinking, folks. That doesn't work. That's like setting yourself on fire in hopes that the smoke's going to bother that guy. That just doesn't work. That's, out of, that's crazy. You're out of your mind. God knows that, and he's saying that's not going to work, Jonah. You can't hate those people. You've got to trust me that I'll deal with those people. That's not your job. I'll deal with them. He's saying, Jonah, do it. No, what did he do? When Jonah goes and, and tells those people repent, what did they do? They repented. And what happened? God's plan worked. Those people were Israel's worst enemy. When they repented and started believing in him, they became Israel's ally. You see how this works? You see, God had a plan, but Jonah said, no, man. I'm afraid, and I'm angry. Let me ask us a question today. Is there anybody that you know, if they got saved today, that you would be disappointed? Is there anybody in your life that if they got saved today, you'd really be disappointed? Or is God asking you to do something, and you're saying, I can't trust you. I just can't trust you. Well, let's learn from Jonah, folks. Let's learn from Jonah so we don't make the same mistakes. Let's learn because what we're going to discover is that three things happen when we rebel. Three things that will happen to you and your families, guaranteed, will happen when we rebel. Let's look at those things. First of all, the thing that we find out, the results of rebellion is, number one, it always comes at a cost. Two, it always brings God's discipline. And three, it always affects the people negatively around you. Let's look, first of all, is the, it, let's look very closely at how rebellion has a price tag. Look at, this is what it says in verse 3. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for, the, for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So Jonah went down and bought a ticket. And he bought the ticket and got on a boat and he started running from God. He bought the ticket. It cost him something. I want to say this to you. But when you are doing God's will, God picks picks up the tab. When you're doing your thing, you pick up the tab. When you're doing God's thing, he picks up the tab. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say your business, your company, sends you on a business trip. Do you have to pay for your expenses? In most cases, no. When you take out, when you go to a hotel, get on an airplane or whatever, they pick up. They pick up the tab. But when you go on vacation, does the company pick up your expenses? No. That's all on you. You see, when you do it your way, then you have to pick it up. But when you do it God's way, he picks up the fare. You remember Moses' mother, Jochebed? She gives birth to Moses, and during that time, Pharaoh is killing all the baby boys. She knows that. She she takes Moses, she builds a a basket, puts Moses in it, and sends him down the Nile River. 
hoping that God would somehow save her son. Meanwhile, Miriam, his sister, is watching the basket to see what in the world's going to happen to Moses. The basket's going down there, and lo and behold, Pharaoh's daughter's down by the Nile River that day. She sees the basket, sends out her servant, and says, go get that basket for me. The basket, she opens it up, and it's a baby boy, and God gives her a love for that boy, and it's Moses, and she takes it in as her own son. Miriam sees this, and she goes over to Pharaoh's daughter and says, hey, do you need a nursemaid? She said, I sure do. So Moses' sister runs back to Moses' mother and says, Mom, you need to apply to that job. And she did. And this is what it says in Exodus chapter 2, verse 9. It says, Pharaoh's daughter hired Moses' mother and paid her to raise him. So she got paid to raise her own son. Hear me. When God, when you're doing God's stuff, he pays for it. But when you're doing your stuff, it costs you. And folks, the price tag is huge. It costs you not only spiritually, it will cost you physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, relationally. It will cost you money. It will cost you time. It will cost you joy. It will cost you peace. It will cost you well-being. It will cost you harmony among your friends and your family. It will cost you. It's got a price tag, and it's big time. Big time. But it not only costs you, but it also brings discipline to you. Look at verse 4. Discipline to you. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Jonah made a decision, and then God made his decision. Jonah decided, I'm running, and God said, I'm going to find you. Jonah said, I'm going to go in the opposite direction. And then God said, then I'm going to send a storm to turn you around. You see, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Listen, if you claim to be a Christian and are rebelling against God and God is not coming after you, you must be somebody else's kid. If God isn't coming after you, you've got to be somebody else's kid. Because right here it says, whom the Lord loves, he comes after you. Matter of fact, one of the proofs of knowing whether or not you are God's child is that God will not leave you alone. He will not leave you alone. He is an unbelievable father. He's the unbelievable mother. He is the one. He will not leave you alone. He is the hound dog of heaven. He will chase you down. He will find you. He will do it. And then if he can't turn you around, then he, puts, he creates a storm with your name on it. If he can't turn you around, he creates a storm with your name on it. And that's exactly what he did for Jonah. He created a storm with his name on it. You know, many of you know that I started Man Up Pittsburgh and I, with Coach Tomlin. And the purpose of Man Up is to help us men. Help us men to be godly men, to love our wives and to love our kids. And also help us to reach out to those who are fatherless in our communities and in the city of Pittsburgh. For three years, I pulled a Jonah on God. I said, no way, I don't want to do it. I told God that I needed another thing to do, like I needed a hole in the head. I said, I'm not doing it. And finally, God kept pressing on me and pressing on me. Finally, he said this. He said, Ed, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. I'm going to take you out into the woodshed. And I've been in the woodshed with God before. It's no place you want to be. I have had 
I've had storms named after me, believe me. And I knew that as not what I wanted. So finally, I got my act together and I started Man Up Pittsburgh. And today, we're impacting thousands of men. I don't know how many families, maybe up to five, ten thousand families, I don't know. But all I thought about all week long was this. Wonder what would have happened if I said no to God. I wonder what would have happened to me, and I wonder how I would have impacted all those men today. What kind of negative things would be going on in their lives if I would have rebelled? Because the last thing that we learn is not only that God, that when you rebel against him, there's a price tag to it, and that God disciplines you, but it also says that we impact people around us when we're rebelling negatively. Look what it says in verses 4 and 5. 4 and 5, it says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the, sh- that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. It says the, the ship was breaking up, the sailors were afraid, they're praying to their own gods, and their, wealth, their livelihood, the cargo, their professional Sailors, they probably sailed this trip from Joppa to Tarshish maybe 15, 20, 30 times. We don't know. But they were sailing. And the whole idea is this how they made their livelihood. That cargo on that ship was how they fed their families. And that cargo is about ready to go underwater. This is what it says in verse 5. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. There goes their money. There goes their livelihood. There goes the food on the table. Maybe even their business going underwater. Why is that happening? Because they screwed up? No, because they got a rebel on board. They're being impacted because they got the rebel on board. And I love verse 6. It says, so the captain, the captain, verse 6, went to him, who's him? Jonah, and said, how can you sleep? Jonah's down in the bottom of the ship. This is all going on. He's sleeping, folks. I mean, this guy is really out of the will of God. I'm talking flaked out somewhere. He's down there sleeping. All this is happening. He goes, the captain goes down. Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Now, this is hilarious. Jonah's the preacher. He's the prophet. He's the man of God. And you got the captain. Now, it says in the Bible here, in verse 5, all of them called on their own gods. So he's not, he's not saved. He's, he's not a follower of the living God. So he's still a sinner. And the sinners telling the preacher, hey, do you think we should get up and pray now? Do you think this would be a good time, maybe, that we should pray? What do you think about that? What do you think about that, preacher? Could you imagine? The saint is being told by the sinner, hey, boy, don't you think we should pray? Amen. You know, we're supposed to be the spiritual leaders of our homes. And sometimes we can get so far out of the will of God that our spouses have to remind us to pray. And sometimes as pastors, we can get caught sleeping on the wheel and our parishioners have to come up and say, hey, pastor, don't you think it's time to pray? So they prayed. And then they casted lots and the lot fell on, on, on Jonah. So they started asking Jonah all kinds of questions. Jonah, why are, you on the, why are you on this boat? What are you doing here? What are you doing? And this is what he says in verse nine. I'm a Hebrew. And I'm worshiping the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The sea, they said. You mean your God created this sea, this sea that's going to swallow us up? What'd you do, boy? Hey, you punk, what did you do? You want to be crazy, be crazy on your own. Don't be crazy and bring your stuff on us. What are you doing? 
And it goes on, it says in verse, why I know that, because of what it says in verse 10. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will calm. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land. In other words, they didn't want to kill this guy. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. You see, God wasn't going to let up. Folks, he won't let up if you're his. He just won't let up. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. You know what we learned last week from Samson? is the same thing we learned from Jonah. Sin is a tough task master. It will always take you further than you want to go. It will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you've ever wanted to pay. Jonah is going down to the bottom of the ocean. And he's thinking in his mind, there's no hope. No promise of any hope. But then, then God sends a fish. And the fish swallows Jonah. And when he swallows Jonah, Jonah's thinking, it's over. I'm dead. The game is done. But he doesn't die. He's lying there in the, in the belly of this fish for three miserable nights. Until finally he prays and he repents. And when he prays and he repents, God does a miraculous, marvelous thing. which turns him dramatically around. And all of a sudden, he repents. And the next thing you know, the fish spits him out on land, dry land. And this time, it says in chapter 3, verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And this time, he didn't hesitate. He went right into Nineveh. He preached repentance. And the largest, greatest revival written down in history happened in that city. The whole city, 500,000 people that day or that time came to know God and repented and escaped God's judgment. God used Jonah, not only blessed him, forgave him, but used him in a powerful way, set a history record right then and then, right there and then. You know what that means for us? It means this, that your past doesn't have to define your future. Your past doesn't have to define your future. Perhaps up until this point, your life has been a losing proposition. It has been a series of mistakes, failures, and disappointments. But hear me, you're in this room. And because you're in this room, that means the game is still on. And the clock is still ticking. And the final whistle has yet to blow. And that means that God has a plan for you. And if you'll do what Jonah did, if you'll pray and repent and stop going your way and start going God's way, God will take you and he will bless you, he'll forgive you, he'll restore you, and he'll use you to make an impact in this world. That's what he's saying to Jonah, that's what he did for Jonah, and that's what he's saying to all of us this morning. Hear me on this one. What's wonderful here is that you need to understand, though, what's it mean to repent. If I'm going to turn my life around because I'm tired of going my way, and I really want to go God's way, how do you do that? Repentance means to turn around and proceed in an opposite direction. 
It means in a mindset. I'm not going to go my way. I'm going to turn right around and go God's way. That's what Jonah did in the belly of that fish. He said, I'm not going to go west any longer. I'm going to go your way, God. And he went God's way, and God turned him around. You know what, what else that means to us? It means no matter who you are, what you've done, or where you've been, if you're willing to repent and turn and face God, God will give you a fresh new start. He'll give you a second chance. Just like he did for Jonah, he'll turn it around for you. You know, I want to read to you what Matthew Henry said once, and I quote, It's not sinning that ruins men or women, but sinning and not repenting. Falling and not getting up again. We all fall, but repentance is the act by which we get up again. I've said it often that successful Christian is one who gets up one more time than he falls. How do you do that? Through repentance. But I don't know what it is, but we, we, resist, we resist repentance. You know why? We think repentance, many times, is a negative word. We think it's negative. Repentance. But repentance is one of the most positive, awesome words in the English language. It is tremendous. Repentance means that God, now you have a second chance. Now you have a fresh new beginning. Now God will forgive you and restore you. Hear me. I've been in ministry almost 30 years, and I've never had one person, I am telling you, not one person has ever come up to me and say, Pastor Ed, I repented of my sin, and my life is a mess. I repented of my sin, and now my whole life is unraveling. That has never happened to me. But I, they'll say this, though. When I repented of my sin, it transformed my life. My marriage is back. I'm not on pornography anymore. I'm not on drugs. I'm not angry. I'm not bitter. I'm at peace with God. God changed my life. I know that heaven is my home. I repented and everything is different because I repented of my sin. But if I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times. People coming up to me and saying this, Pastor Ed, oh I wish, oh I wish I would have, oh I wish I would have listened. My life is a mess. My marriage is a mess. My family is a mess because I wouldn't do what God told me to do. Hear me. When Jonah rebelled against God, he paid. When he repented, God paid. Sent the fish, delivered Jonah for free. Jonah rebelled against God, and he was disciplined. He repented, and God blessed him. He rebelled against God, and he impacted the people around him in a negative way. He repented, and God used him to change people for all eternity. Can you bow your heads with me, please? As I speak to you, and I'm just going to say some things to you and lead you in prayer, in two or three different ways I'm going to help you pray. First of all, is there something in your life that you know you ought to do, but you've just been putting it off? Maybe God asked you to use a talent or an ability or an asset, and you've just been saying, some other time, Lord. Somebody else can do that. I'll do that later, Lord. Is that you today? God, you know that God asked you to do something and you're just saying, later. Or friends, maybe you know you've, got, you've been running, you've been rebelling against it. You know you've been living in sin. And some of you have been paying a price for years, months, weeks. You've been paying emotionally you're filled with fear and anger and worry. Some of you are paying physically because 
you have headaches and stress. Others of you are really being impacted spiritually. You don't have any more joy or peace anymore. Would you settle whatever it is right now that you've been running, that you've been running from God from for? Would you pray this prayer? Pray this prayer with me right now. Just pray, God, I want to be available to you. I want to follow your blueprint for my life. I want to follow your purpose. God, forgive me for doing my own thing and not consulting you. I want to commit all my life to you. I, I want to run with you, not run from you. Folks, maybe you've really, really failed. Just ask, Lord, forgive me and help me to start over. And lastly, maybe you're here and you're sit sitting there thinking, I don't even know if I know God. Just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, open my life. Open my heart to you. Make yourself real to me right now. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and I ask you to be my Savior. Folks, if you prayed any of those prayers with me today, know this, that God has just given you a second chance. And he has forgiven and he will restore even what the locusts have taken from you. Just stay close, walk in him, pray to him, stay in the word, be accountable to people around you. And God's going to use you to change your family, your schools, your neighborhood. You watch what he'll do. Thank you, Jesus. Now as Brad leads us, Lord, may we worship you in truth and in spirit.